Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. Uh, today's episode, I sit down and I talk to Mr. Chris Rowe. Chris Rowe, of course, is the lead singer uh, and songwriter of the Ataris. He's also um, pretty much, I mean, pretty much Chris Rowe is the Ataris. Uh, the rest of the band is pretty much like hired guns, from what I understand. Although he does tell me that this is the best group of uh, hired guns he's had in a long time and that they're his full-time band so maybe they're not full hired guns anymore i don't know uh, but anyway so i uh, sit down with mr chris rowe at moe's barbecue in denver colorado uh moe's moe's barbecue um it's right not right next door but down the street from the gothic theater uh danny Sachs helped set this interview up he's the booking agent and all-around kick-ass dude at moe's and the gothic and uh thanks to danny for setting this up hooking me up with some free drinks and uh putting me on the guest list. Thanks for being an all-around great guy, Danny Sachs. Uh, we venture up to the pinball room. It's like this pinball loft room at Moe's Barbecue. Uh, it's also a bowling alley. And so we're in this little room, and uh, you're looking down. We're watching people bowl. Uh, it's kind of loud. It's kind of noisy. There's a couple moments where me and Chris are yelling at each other over the microphones. But overall, I think this interview went pretty good. Uh, Chris Rowe is a dude who likes to talk, and he's not afraid to speak his mind. And we did that today. We talked about the rise, the fall, and the uh, the aftermath of their ride to success. Uh, I got a couple weird Facebook comments from some friends of mine like, Why the hell are you interviewing Chris Rowe from the Atari Youth? And look. He's a great dude to talk to. He was one of the first interviews I ever did, and if he hadn't been such a great dude to talk to way back in 99, 98, when I interviewed him, who knows if I'd still be doing it or doing it again, as the case may be. Uh, so, I mean, he really helped set me on this path that we're on now, and if he had been a fucking dickhead, I probably wouldn't have interviewed him. So I wanted to sit down and I want to talk to this guy, and plus, here's the thing. Do you want me to interview somebody who's squeaky clean, or do you want to hear hear about somebody with scars now chris rose got a ton of road scars from all his years of like battling um record companies what you know just years of touring on the road and they've kind of gotten this bad flack as this pussy um emo love song band and uh i'd really rather talk to somebody who's actually lived a little and risen and fallen than talk to somebody who's you know still squeaky clean and i think i think we really touched on some good stuff in today's episode I uh, had, and then another thing I want to talk about, like, there's this, this fucking asshole Denver punk rock kid walks in and Chris Rowe selling his own merchandise. Lots of bands sell their own merchandise. Um, you know, I've, I've learned like traveling with the Dragons River Boys. They don't do it. That's why they have me because they don't even want to bother with the merchandise. But, uh, lots of like John Snodgrass will tell you when you are working the merch booth, your sales go up. It's because people want to come over, they want to talk to you, they want to buy you drinks. Oh, hey, look, here's a CD. I'll buy that for $5. Uh, Frank Turner does it. Chuck Reagan does it. Tons of bands do it. It's just one of those cool things to do, you know, because you can get to meet the people behind the band. Um, and so here's this snarky Denver punk rock dude going, look how far the mighty have fallen. He's selling his own merch. <laughs> and this is also the same kid who stage dove off of uh, at the very end when they played San Dimas football song whatever whatever the hell the name of that song is uh and so it's just like dude you paid 12 dollars to come in here because at one point in time you used to love this band um you may have grown up and grown out of it and turned into this snarky asshole i wonder what happened to you uh because snark like i'm just tired of all this pretension and all this bullshit and all these people are like Ooh, this sucks i'm not going to apologize for liking or loving something and neither should you and if you're going to be at a show don't be too fucking cool 
you know, to be there. You paid your 12 bucks the same as most of those other people. Not me, because I get it for free. But, uh, you know, you paid your 12 goddamn dollars, and you're going to sit there and mock the thing that you once loved um, because it makes you look cool. Fuck that. I'd, um, I'd rather be the dude who's not afraid to get up there and sing his heart out to these love songs that made such a giant impact on me as a uh, 16, 17, 18-year-old boy. And then while, while we're on that subject, I, I, I kind of apologize to Chris Rowe about this during the interview. I quit the Ataris. Cold Turkey back in, back in the early 2000s. I'd kind of given up on that whole pop-punk scene and movement and uh, got into bands like Bad Religion and then started getting into heavier stuff like The Refused and whatnot. And pop punk silly pop punk love songs did nothing for me uh so we i went back this last week and i listened to all the atari's albums except for the new one i didn't give it a chance because well i just didn't give it a chance uh and really man they're fucking goddamn great songs they're really good um just solid pop rock songs and there's really not a lot of punk to them about it and we even talk about that in the interview today but you know I'm sad that I, I turned away from this band I loved as a 16 you know year old boy and because I was too cool for it like these guys and I sat back and it, that day at work that I listened to all these albums made the whole day that much more enjoyable that nostalgia washing over me and in some of it wasn't even nostalgia they write damn good catchy songs so uh, I, I'm gonna quit rambling here we're gonna try to cut these intros a little bit shorter um, we're gonna go straight into we're gonna play an Atari song this is off a of seven inch called All Souls Day slash Graveyard of the Atlantic. It's kind of been put out as a tour 7-inch and kind of promote their upcoming release that may or may not see the light of day of the summer called Graveyard of the Atlantic. Uh, I'm going to play the song All Souls Day because I like it a little bit better. It's a little bit stronger, a little bit more poppier, a little bit more heavier. Um, it's a good song. Uh, it's a good album. And if you like the Ataris once upon a time like I once did, please go, go open up that little Spotify account. Take a little listen. Listen to Blue Skies one more time. And just try not to smile, try not to be happy, and try to shed some of that pretentious asshole bullshit and just have a good time. That's what we're all here for, right? Just have a good time, buddies. You said you wanted to be loved. I think you wanted to be saved. Well, tell me, how am I supposed to save a girl like you when I don't even know how to save myself? Wish I could just forget the double life.
Doing all right. Yeah. Yourself. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good. I just worked all day and then I drove here and I'm wired as fuck. But uh, came from Hayes, Kansas. Her first time ever playing there. It was uh, it was kind of like where I grew up in Indiana. It was very uh, uh, rural, very incestuous, but um, a lot of fun. At the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, Central Kansas. You like playing those little towns, right? Uh, yeah. I feel like our best audiences are usually the ones you know. You kind of go out of the way off the beaten path and you bring the music to the people who don't necessarily have it because they're not as jaded you know you get the the elements like you know you play, you play New York and LA you have great shows or you know Denver Austin what have you but at the same time those people are just so inundated with, with music all the time that um, I, I just feel like you know the, the little small you know one light towns when you play those places they really appreciate it and that's yeah. always cool well that's funny because the first time I ever met or saw you was in Longview, Texas. Oh yeah, old Roy did those old shows. Roy. Yeah, that that was always uh, always some of our favorite shows on our early tours. We, God, we must have played there five, six times. We in in the early tours with this band, they usually consisted of like our booking guy who was just like you know operating out of his bedroom throwing darts at a map, and uh, he'd be like, "All right, guys, you got to drive from El Paso to like Houston in a day." And then back to Austin, and then up to Denver, and then back to Albuquerque to play in the basement of a bagel shop for five people, and you get five bucks and some day-old bagels. But it was a blast, and we still love playing. You know, that, 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 that attitude's always kind yeah. of held true with this band. We like yeah. to keep that, that DIY kind of do-it-yourself attitude because yeah. that's what we loved in the bands that we grew up with. Well, uh, so we did an interview once upon a time. You seem to remember everything. You might even remember Shit. this. Whatever. No. <laughs> uh, we did an interview one time. It was it was probably my third or fourth time interviewing anyone, and it was you. And what I really liked is you're very – you talk. Oh, thanks. Up until that point, I hadn't really met anybody that talked I'm quite very, as much as you. Very, uh, ADD. I'm very uh, hyperactive. Oh, God. Anxiety-ridden. Yeah. Pull the string and, you know, I'll ramble about whatever. All right, so old Roy. We're talking about Longview, Texas. Um, so we did an interview. It was a great interview. Oh, it was a great interview. I had so much fun. After the interview, 
you left your t-shirt behind. <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> I've never shirt? What the hell is I it? I have never washed it. I was probably like two sizes larger back then. Yeah, it's my my ex-wife worked for this uh, this stupid company back then, and uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and <laughs> it's never been washed, <laughs> and you can have it back. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, after that show, my buddy was so mad at me. You know, I did. I, I when we played First Avenue in Minneapolis, we're like yeah. I'm the biggest Who's Good and Replacements fan. Uh, I left one of my favorite shirts behind there. I wish I wish that would have been the shirt you brought to me. It says, uh, "Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may be in Utah." <laughs> and tomorrow I will. Well, two days from now I will be in Utah, and that that would be appropriate. But yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, it's never been lost. It's uh, I'll, I'll leave it behind tonight. Excellent. Thank, uh, thank you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't want it, I'll keep it. I've had it 10 years yeah, now. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, say, uh, it's a, it's a heirloom now. I remember, <laughs> I remember I emailed you about it a couple of years back, and you were like, good God, I was wearing a porn star shirt. What yeah, yeah. Wrong with it's, me? Um, it was surely, like I said, it was surely one of those eras where, you know, wearing graphic tees was, uh, was uh, I guess, kind of appropriate. Uh, but, um, I, I was now I would feel like uh, the biggest douche on the planet if I wore that shirt. <laughs> you know. I, I've shown ex-girlfriends of mine that shirt and been like, this is Chris's shirt. Like, <laughs> especially back in the boys' of summertime. Like, they're like, they're like, that? No, they were like, no, it isn't. I don't believe you. And I'm like, no, I have photos of him wearing that shirt to prove it. And they're like, no. No, so uh, I just thought I would, I would uh, try to give that back to you, I guess. Anyway, so um, you're on this new tour. You just got back. You just got done with the queers. Yeah. Um, and that was a great time. Tell yeah, me about that time. We went out with uh, the queers and Far From Finish for uh, two weeks, uh, all the way up to eastern Canada and uh, up the east coast of the states, and then uh, ended the tour in Chicago. It was it was great. You know, like for, for me, like I, I like to tour with bands. Like I'm 35, so I like to tour with bands that just have that same kind of uh, ideas that, that rock music is about creating music that's that's real and organic you know we record all analog the queers are the same way you know joe is joe is all about recording on tape you know they 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 definitely have the same kind of um i guess to say yeah they just added that attitude that like you know punk rock music was was you know the first generation of course you know the descendants and then you know ramones the clash the replacements the damned you know what have you and you know black flag and then uh you know and then, then obviously the, the 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 bands that I loved growing up, being that I'm, you know, a little too young for that generation when it first came out. Yeah. You know, there was Jawbreaker and Sam I Am, and you know, of course, Avail, Hot Water Music, D4. You know, all those bands, they were just creating music that was four guys piling into a sweaty van, you know, two guitars, bass, and drums, no bullshit, just rock and roll, and. and that was that was really great to go out with with bands that kind of share that sentiment, and because um, I think the thing that goes wrong with our band is people perceive us as something that we're not. They, you know, they a lot of this like Justin Bieber lookalike scene hair bullshit just doesn't apply to anything we do, nor has it ever. You know, I mean, it's because I maybe one time had some pretty blonde hair. I'm, I'm a 35 year old hillbilly from Indiana that wears flannels and drinks cheap shitty beer and drives around in a, an old beat up van. I, I like music that's real and I like you know art and life to be the same you know and, and uh, yeah it pisses me <laughs> off more than it does you or I don't think more than it does Joe Queer because Joe Queer <laughs> he can ramble for days like I was telling you that he's like Reminds me of the, you know, the bitter old character from Gran Torino he's just like ah, I hate all this fucking garbage blah 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 but you know it's definitely, uh, 
it's nice to be out with some guys that share that attitude. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, he's got good taste in touring bands. So you guys went from, like, headlining, like, I, I, I can only assume the huge arena shows in <laughs> yeah, the boys' I mean, of summer days. Well, no, I mean, we, we, you know, I think, like, nowadays, it's, it's more in my speed. You know, like, the times I've enjoyed most in this band is when we were playing you know, sweaty little dive bars and places that are, you know, two, three hundred people. I would much rather play a place any day, like, you know, that is a place with, like, very small, low stage, you know, where we can cram 200 kids into the place, sing along, you know, pummeling into the mic, mic's knocking my fucking teeth out. You know, that's that's great. That's the attitude that I want to I want to have in shows. And, you know, when you play, like, those stale Live Nation Clear Channel venues, there's just something about it that just doesn't have anything to do with what we grew up with and what we loved about rock music. It's very homogenized and completely predictable. Everything is like you've got your six fire exits on the left, your six on the right. You know, you've got your barricade and, you know, you can, you know, eat your sandwich while you're watching the band. And, <laughs> you know, granted, we're playing a fucking barbecue place tonight but at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's 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 predictable, sappy, pap. It's bullshit. And and. That's what I like about playing little dives. Um, I think it's a good thing. You know, for me, those extra 500 people uh, that were at those shows, um, God love them, but I feel, <laughs> not without sound like an elitist fuck, I think that, you know, there are those people out there that will go to a theater and watch a shitty movie like Wild Hogs yeah. or something like Larry the Cable Guy bullshit. Well, that's the way I look at music. You've got the guys that will go to Walmart and buy Toby Keith's fucking album, and then you guys have got the guys that like Waylon and Merle Haggard and, you know, Hank. Well, to me, punk rock's the same way. People who like punk rock music probably more, you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. without being elitist. It, it kind of lends itself to that kind of venue. And anything over that, I find, starts to get the douchebag factor in it. You know, you start getting the, the guys that come in and, you know, um, what's the fucking... Uh, Tap out. Uh, yeah. You know, in like uh, affliction jeans and yeah. shit, you know. And so um, more power to them. If they buy our records, cool. But, uh, you know, um, music belongs to everybody. But I really feel like, you know, I, I hope that <laughs> people go back and do the homework and check yeah. out some of the music that, that led us to where we are today, that the but good bands from yesterday. You, you guys have come a, you've come a long way from the uh, Blue Skies album. Are you still doing punk rock? Are we still what? Doing punk rock. Um, doing punk rock. I don't think we ever were. <laughs> I think we were just playing, you know, playing shitty rock songs and, you know, people could tag it and whatever. But I feel like this band, when we play live, we try to, you know, do a fair representation of songs from all those albums, yeah. at least the ones that still kind of ring true to us. You know, like, um, I always try to lean towards the more singer-songwriter, storyteller-based songs. And, um, you know, I love playing songs from all our old albums. And I'd say 90% of the songs we play in our set are from... Yeah. That album or So Long Astoria or, you know, our <laughs> new album's coming out on paper and plastic and uh, at a you know, label out of Gainesville that Vinny runs. And, you know, we're, we're really happy to be a part of a label that kind of gets where we came from. And mm -hmm. they put out, you know, Red City Radio and some other good rock and roll bands. Band. They, they're putting out bands that are just, just good, gravelly, yeah. swill rock and roll. And, and I, yeah. I, I like that because that's, that's kind of yeah. what this band's always been about. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you've definitely got the roots in the uh, punk <laughs> rock and the DIY ethics oh, still down. Well, I, that, that I feel is, is probably is, is as much as I will say with punk in this band is that the bands I respected that I would call punk rock bands, I just took what I liked about that and built 
what this band is for me. Yeah. So um, for me, in my heart, is is being doing things very organically and making all the decisions myself and and you know drive our own van, sell our own merch, load our own shit. We don't need some giant trailer and all this bullshit. <laughs> we just you know it's bare bones. Less is more. Yeah. You know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just Go with it. Wait, so. You went from that huge clear channel place, right? Yeah, to this. Like, was it nice? We, no, but even then, we, we I don't think people realize, but even then, I, I operated this band the same way. Yeah. And, you know, I was always the guy that was like fighting against everything, you know? And when Boys of Summer accidentally became a single, <laughs> K Rock picked that song straight from the record. I, I went on stage that day. I, they, I, we were backstage playing the big radio festival in LA. And uh, the way this band works is I record all the records myself. With, I show the drums to the drummer and I record all the parts. So we didn't know that song as a lab band, Boys of Summer. We'd never played it. We basically pick a set of songs to learn with the band and, and we play what we know. And um, so we were backstage and uh, at this festival and they're like, hey, good news, you know, K Rock just pit, pulled Boys of Summer as your second single. And we're like, well, that sucks because we don't even know how to play that song. And they're like, well, you guys got to play it on stage tonight. That was the first time in my life somebody yeah. told me, you guys got to play this song. So I turned my Pedro the Lion shirt inside out, wrote, who the fuck is Don Henley in big letters, went on stage with that, like, hey, what, what the hell? You know, I'm some kind of puppet? <laughs> but the bottom line is, is, you know, A, I was naive to record that song, put it on a record, not thinking it would become a single, you know. But I never, I guess I never thought that, Somebody could just pick a song and be like, "This is your single." Yeah. But um, but yeah, you know, I'm proud of our cover of that song, and I feel like it's uh, a small point in what this band has done. But yeah. you know. But I, I like hanging out with you. It seems oh, like thanks. you're a little bit more relieved that that kind of period. Yeah, is no, over. I, I will agree with you there that you know, um, it's just like you know, I I think on a completely larger level and completely different. You know, I understand why a guy like Cobain or like one, you know, a lot of the guys that kind of shot overnight to like some level of like. You know, I was not there, but I definitely, we, I mean, we sold over 800,000 records of that album. And, and to me, it was more than I really ever knew how to handle. Um, I tried my best to steer the ship at that level and to fight the system at a level where it's like, I always say it's like jumping on a moving train, man. You like, you have this vision of how things are going and suddenly the train just like moving along without you. And as much as you try to fight against it, there's a certain point where like, you gotta like play the game a little, and, and I didn't like that. So this is way more on my level, more controllable. So yeah, that's yeah. great. And is that is that why you chose uh, paper and plastic? Because they're smaller, more yeah. And not not only that, but like I love to do I do photography, and they really have a good aesthetic with like the art and the packaging of, of, yeah. of things. You know, they they do a lot of like they're like suburban home, and they do a lot of specialty vinyls. And um, you know, to me, music nowadays is a promotional tool to get people to come to your shows. People love to collect things, so they love cool vinyl, and, you know, uh, collector nerds like myself <laughs> like to me. have a really cool package of some things, you know? And um, paper and plastic really get that. You know, they put out a lot of, like, books and, and print, and uh, the graphic design is great on their, on their end. And so that, that was good. It's digital and in vinyl. CDs are kind of like the eight tracks of when I was a kid. So, you know, that, that was one of the things I really dug. That and Vinny really, really is just putting out bands that he likes. And not putting out bands because, you know, Cheap Girls and, like I said, Red City Radio and all, all those bands are just real rock and roll bands. And so that I feel he got it. He got what we were going for. And, you know, yeah. Hell yeah. It's, it's, a, bum, it's a bummer you're not here tomorrow night because Les and Jake's playing tomorrow night. Oh, Sam I.M.'s opening, right? No, it's a... Uh, oh, they're, they're not doing this leg of the tour, Not right? this leg. It's uh, Teenage Bottle Rocket, uh, The Gamuts, oh. 
and uh, another Denver band. Yeah, they were a couple days behind us on this whole tour. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you see those cats, tell them I said hey. I will. Good guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you've got this new album coming out, but it's taken a long time. Why did it take so long for this um, album to come out? Well, it started out because um, I, I basically just pay for a lot of the recording myself. I'd go out and do shows, then go into the studio and record. Um, my buddy Bob Hope, who was in the band Pollen and the Go Reflex, he runs a studio um, out, in, uh, out in Arizona. I've been going off, off and on going out there to record. And then eventually, you know, I got a good, a good cross-section of material recorded, and I'm just like, got to finish vocals for like six or seven songs, and we'll be done. But uh, overall, um, yeah, I just I just kind of lag because I like to stay on the road and stay touring, and I kind of kind of balance the the touring and the uh, recording, and um, and you know family life too. So yeah, when I get off this tour, I'm gonna do a month of uh, off and on recording vocals, and hopefully get the album out in the summer. That's that's the goal. So yeah, and then. Uh Tell me about the Warp Tour this summer. You're doing the Warp Tour? I'm doing uh, two weeks from the start of uh, Salt Lake City's the first date uh, up until Dallas. There's a, a folk indie acoustic stage. Uh, me, uh, Anthony from Bayside, uh, there's a couple other people on it. Um, but uh, I'm just doing a, I, did, I released an acoustic album in no, last November. It's um, just kind of, it's a lot of our older songs, stripped down acoustic the way I write them. Uh, all one take on old, old ribbon mics, the real old 1940s. <laughs> J45, Gibson, and, um, you know, all analog. Just just basically the way I sound when you see me play acoustic. I've done a lot of acoustic touring, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun, you know. I'm just, I basically just did it for nothing. Just go out and, you know, just get a, get a spot on, a, on one of the production buses and yeah. go out and, you know, wake up in the hot sun and play some acoustic songs while other loud-ass bands try to drown us out. But um, it's going to be cool. I'm going to probably do some... A uh, real, real small um, release of like a special release of the vinyl of that acoustic album. And if anybody want to check that out, you can go to the ataris.bandcamp.com. It's free to download. It's donation only. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be kind of cool. And hopefully there won't be. There'll hopefully be a couple older rock bands on the tour this year because <laughs> I can't stand all that scene here bullshit. But uh, you know, you make a lot of good friends. We always kind of say, you know, I don't like to be that guy, uh, you know, because. People could probably think the same about us, uh, you know, that we are one thing that we're not. But, you know, uh, I just just want to go out and have fun and do my thing. And if people like it, cool. If they don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, what, 35 now? Yeah. How does it feel to play these songs that you wrote, like, when you were 19, 20 still to this day? 90% of them I love playing. You know, there's I, I'd be lying if I said I like playing every one of them. But, you know, th to say that, you know, I can play most of them, despite, like, three or four, you know, um, and those are, you know, just because I think that novelty is, is probably my, my weakest point of writing. I, I, my strong point, I feel, are telling stories from my life and writing songs that um, have a personal narrative and, and uh, you know, basically just put my soul out there for everybody to rip apart. And, you know, the songs that I wrote that are just more silly, uh, those I don't think age as well. So, you know, I can play a song like San Dimas any day. That's a song that, that just about a good weekend I had when I moved out west when I was 19. But I feel my stronger songs are the ones that really have a lot of depth. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoy playing most of them. So. Yeah. Uh, do, do you ever have the urge to just write a silly pop punk song these days, or is that well, that past? Silly pop punk, if I think of, like, you know, Silly Girl or something like that, you know, that's when I think of pop punk, I think of, like, those pop songs that the Descendants wrote. Yeah. Now, pop punk in the sense of, like, 
some crappy whiny guy with a nasal voice that <laughs> sings like yeah you know no i don't have any desire to do that no but you know i think our new record will appease fans of the old and people that are looking for something that they can relate to at my age you know our rec this record this new album the graveyard of the atlantic that we're putting on paper and plastic it's a straight up rock and roll album and, and kind of like picks up where so long a story left off but you know a little bit more old vintage uh, acoustic, or not acoustic, sorry, more <laughs> organic vintage guitar tones, yeah. and you know, just bad. You know, I, I started out playing on a Telecaster, and it's you know, that's it's more like I don't know, just more yeah. rock and roll sounding and a little less, uh, you know, punk rock. Do you still play it left handed? <laughs> yeah, the way you yeah, always that's have? how I yeah. learned how to play a left handed yeah. on a right handed guitar. Yeah, um, so like, uh, how has the songwriting process changed over these what last 12? How long has it been? How many years? God, I don't remember, but but basically uh, the major thing that's different is that when, when when I write now, I usually just, I feel like my lyrics are stronger now because I keep a journal of all my thoughts and I just write kind of free verse without thinking about anything. Whereas then I would sit down with a guitar, write a song to completion, and then you you know while you're thinking of what you're writing, you're also thinking of a rhyme scheme. You know, I think if, if you don't... Um, if you don't worry about a rhyme scheme and just write, then you can kind of go back and um, be a good editor on what you write and really try to think of a more descriptive way to tell the story. You know, um, if you write in the moment, kind of stream of consciousness, I think you're limited to the moment and you really don't have time to, like, rip your shit apart. You know, as yeah. I've got older, I think I'm a way better editor of what's good and what's not so good. I know what my strong points are now. and <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think it's not it's not much different, but... You know, now now I feel like I'm, I'm better at like screening out. Oh, that sucks. That that's that's pretty strong. And you know, I've for this album I, I went and recorded about 14 songs, and then I recorded six more. I had 20 songs to choose an album's worth of material from. There'll be about 12 songs on the record, and I'll have about eight leftover songs to put on some seven cool. inches and whatnot. So yeah. uh, I feel this. I can't fuck it up because I have that many songs. If I can screw up a good record out of 20 songs, then I should probably quit <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> Especially with so much time in yeah. between, right? Yeah, I lag. Yeah. I know. Well, I uh, I listen to Blue Skies. I actually listened to everything today for the first time in years, and I'm surprised how well they like they all hold uh, really up so well. That. I mean, no, I find I, that it sounds good. It feels some things good. Things bug me about them, like I feel um, when when uh, around Song Astoria, we really kind of honed in on being uh, a stronger. Like um, I, I really kind of like school or our drummer when I, about how to be like hey man less is more you know play more like keith moon or you know uh, modern drummers like you know grawl dave grawl or you know just just be the backbone of the song and don't overplay that's the problem with a lot of younger drummers is they play like scared white kid you know and that's what that's what our buddy bob calls it you know and um you just gotta like big and trashy and like bill you know like bill stevenson yeah. plays just be solid don't play ahead of the beat. Don't rush it. And uh, he really got it on, on that album. And I think that's where we really kind of came together. But I feel that record, the one thing I feel it lacks, it's a little more stiff. Even though we did everything analog in our albums, I feel, you know, Lou Giordano, who did that album, we went with him because he did Paul Westerberg's solo albums. He did Copper Blue by Sugar. And uh, he did uh, Sunny Day. And then one Sam I Am album. I feel those are all great records. But for us, I feel... That record, if it would have breathed a little more, it would have. I think it would have. It would have been even that much better. But this album, I think it's so long a story, but a little more open and free. And you know, ten years later. So yeah, yeah. 
think I have one in the pocket of the number one photograph book thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they want to say, I don't care. <laughs> oh, it's in the, my jacket pocket in the van. There's only one mix. Let them play it. <laughs> we made an iPod mix. We bought an iPod specifically for nights where they play all the emo screamo shit. And we're like, here, play this. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, full, like, good music. Yeah. So. Uh, what would be the perfect tour for you guys to go on right now? Um, I think for us, you know. Um, do, do you want to keep headlining or do you like the open? No, I, I love going out with other bands. Like, you know, co-headlining I think is, is, is good. But I feel once we have a new album out, then, then we can kind of go out and do that again. For right now, like. You know, to go out with a good band that's like one of our one of our peers is nice, like an older band. But I like to go out and do a tour with like a couple of the bands that are kind of uh, equal equal age, like you know, against me or uh, like Gaslight Anthem or somebody like that. Because I think some of their fans would get it, but I think at the same time, maybe some of those bands might not understand that we're not too far removed from what those bands do. Well, it's it's funny you talk about that. It like. I got into the guys. I was like, I, I'm a few, I'm 30, so I'm about five years younger than you. By the time like you guys hit it big, I had I kind of wrote you guys off. Yeah, I think and that's how I feel. Some people probably but, probably felt because, but but, you know. but but yeah, today today I sat down and I listened to these records again, and I'm like, they're fucking great. I feel uh, bad. I want to apologize. Oh uh, no, have you heard the off. seven inch that we did on yeah, this? Yeah, I listened to it four I, times today. Yeah, okay. Well, th those two songs, like I said, I mean, All Souls Day, and then the title track, The Graveyard of Atlantic. I feel the main thing I would stress is like for fans of our old albums that maybe thought, you know, like did write our band off or whatever, I mean, and uh, or grew somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, me as a music fan, I grew somewhere else too. That's why I wrote our last album <laughs> is because I was sick of being lumped in with all this shit that didn't, I didn't feel related to us. And I just did what I wanted to do. And now I feel like comfortable of writing some good rock and roll songs that are more like you know what we grew up with again which you know all like all yeah. those bands i was saying that like against me and all those bands we all grew up loving like jawbreaker and replacements and the descendants it's just like after a while you can only pull so much inspiration out of those there's only <laughs> you know the first time you heard that album by that band that fucking moved you you have that moment once in your life you know and then you later in your life you discover other things and um you know, so so I feel like this album's kind of full circle for me, but, you know, it's me writing what I want, but it's also turning up the amp to 10 and just yeah. playing some rock and roll again, you know. But I, I like that you said you do what you want because that's what you're doing now. Like, yeah. you're, you're booking your own tours now, right? Well, I, I, yeah, not just like, we've done that for, I've done that for a long time. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I feel like that's kind of always been my attitude, but I think in the last five or six years, it's 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 just been... Hey, this is my life, and this is what I love to do, and I'm not gonna, you know, let anybody else. You know, I've had times in this band where there have been guys in the band that, like I said, kind of um, got got into some bad shit, and it and it reflected upon me. Even though I was just the guy trying to steer the ship, I ended up having to be the babysitter. It came a point where I'm like, I just want to go out, play music with three good buddies, and have a good time, and that's what we do, and, and um, I can't I can't stress more that I've never had a good backbone like we have now. I think some of these old songs sound stronger now than they ever have, and not only that, but we just have fun together, and we, we all get along great. So awesome, it's good.
Uh, so when is this? When is the new album going to be out? Um, summer. I mean, I don't want to give a date, but yeah. I got to just record six or seven more songs of vocals and then um, have the album out after that. So probably uh, late summer. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'll, I'll start wrapping it up. Um, sure. If you could go back in time and give the guy who wrote uh, Anywhere But Here some advice, what kind of advice would you give that kid um, don't for, for the career? I, don't know. I guess um, with that album, I wrote that from like 13 to 19. So it was, you know, like they always say, it takes a lifetime to write your first record or whatever that the saying is. <laughs> um, you know, I was learning. I, I was recording everything in my bedroom on a four track. And um, I guess I would just say, you know, hey, man, you've got a lot to learn. There are times in your life that you're always learning and, and you never know it all. And I don't think I knew it all then, and I, I definitely don't know it all now. But, I mean, you know, you can never be uh, too sure of yourself and don't be afraid to take advice from anyone. I'm a very stubborn person. But at the same time, the best thing I ever do is relinquish a little control and just listen. And so, yeah, that's probably what I would say. Nice. Uh, so... You remember the band Beefcake, right? Yeah, our old guitar player John's old band. Yeah, they used to tell us some uh, wonderful stories about the contents of your backpack <laughs> that you used to carry around everywhere. Like what was in there? Um, the basically books and CDs, probably. Their, their popular story was that you carried around shit and piss porn everywhere because you were addicted no, to shit and piss that's porn. That's Beefcake like to make a funny story. Oh yeah. Their name was Beefcake, and they wrote a song about uh, uh what what was the one of their uh, uh, I never fucked a ten, but one night I fucked five twos. Yeah. That was a good one, and then there was another song about uh oh yeah uh, about a girl's ma like mass and gill or. So yeah, no, that that's no, I'm not into <laughs> not into that. But um, <laughs> all, all I like a little porn every once in a while, you know. The the, the my my girl and I we watch we watch some watch some porn every once in a while together. Yeah. But um, no, no, never into the shit piss thing. That's too German. Yeah. It, well, it, <laughs> I, we kind of never believed it, but like yeah. I posted on Facebook, what questions do you have for Chris Rowan? Um, all my, my friends asked that. My neurotic backpack would be filled with uh, well, then b prior to iPods. I would, uh, every night, uh, I'm really OCD, so I, I would carry around two giant books of CDs on tour. Every night, organize them, and uh, everything in my backpack would have to be super, super neat, super anal, pardon the pun, after the shit piss joke. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just uber organized and, and weird and OCD, so. Um, yep. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. These guys. Whatever happened to them? Uh, well, there's a band. I mean, you know. I mean, they. Good, good guys. I mean, you know just how it is. I mean. There's a certain certain thing you can do, and, and you know, not to write off what they did, but you know, novelty is definitely what it is. I mean, they wrote fun, silly songs, and you know, even even my silly songs, they are what they are, or they are what they were, I shall say. And you know, they were they were a band that were a bunch of guys from New York that were having fun and out touring, and they all had you know, at least except for John, and they all had they all had jobs. And uh, as far as I know, you know, Phil, the guy who sang in that band, is a uh, I think he lives back in the town where John, our old guitar player, lives in New York. Uh, John runs a studio, and Phil, I think he, he works construction or right. something. That's cool. The other guys, I don't know, but they were all great guys. Yeah, they know? were fun. Yeah. They're retarded, but yeah, they were fun. Silly. Silly. Um, like a clown. Yeah. Do I muse you? <laughs> uh, one last question. Sure. Why should like, you tout the live show? How do you still bring it after all this time? Like, um, do, you br do you still bring it every time? Yeah. I just don't fucking think about it. I just, you know, to me, it's like as long as I go out every night and I have a good time and, you know, I uh, feel some of the best bands or the bands just go out there and don't give a fuck. 
you know, now I think my attitude is I don't give a fuck. If you like, it's cool. If you don't, whatever. But I just want you to, like, check it out, judge for yourself, and, you know, ultimately um, just uh, don't don't have a preconceived notion because I definitely can tell you that the songs that you will hear live, even the old ones, I feel we represent them with the, with the most integrity and uh, try to try to keep them true to what they were, but I feel we breathe a lot of new life into a lot of those old songs, and we, you know, we play, I said, we play all the songs we feel you want to hear, but also try to keep it true to us, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, just judge for yourself, you know. Right on, I like it. Uh, okay, uh, you've done a thousand interviews, last question. Sure. What's the one question you've never been asked that you've always wanted to been asked? Never been asked. Or, or, wish you got, or wish you got asked more which I always get asked. Uh, I can always tell the people a mile away that, that just read Wikipedia and do, uh, you know, and, and, then, and then do their interview. Uh, and one time, you know. Well, no, uh, well, the, what, what haven't you been asked before that you want? Because um, I, I always sit back, like, I'll do an interview with a newspaper or something about sure. some project I'm doing, and I'm like, man, I wish they had asked I, about I, that. I, I wish I, I had talked for, about that. You know, what might happen? Well, I, I like when people you know, elaborate into, to, you know, hey, what's this song about? Because when I interviewed bands, I did a zine when I was growing up, I, as a fan of bands, and I know there were a lot of bands I would interview that I didn't know a lot about, and I'm, I'm trying to learn myself, yeah. so I don't expect people to know about our band when they interview us, not everyone, but I mean, if I know about the band, I want to know some step behind the stories of the lyrics, you know, in certain bands, so I was like that, the people that, uh, you know, that ask questions that are more, uh, vague or more like so why well, you guys had so many members it's like well you know because i move around a lot and had a lot of guys that like cocaine and you know um <laughs> i can i record albums myself and yeah. assemble a live band you know whatever blah, blah 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 wikipedia but one time we had fun though in germany we were doing like four days of press we changed the wikipedia and we wrote all this shit like <laughs> chris was a goat farmer in indiana <laughs> and uh I don't know, just all this stupid shit, and just to see if anybody would, would like pick it up. And this guy's like, "So, um, what is this with the goats? You used to raise the goats." And I'm like, "Oh yeah," and I just fed him a bunch of bullshit. But um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's always hard to say what you uh, what what you haven't been asked. I don't know. I mean, oh, that's cool. That's just enough. Curious. But yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard question. Because I know <laughs> you. I, I just know you've done press for 12 years, so it's just. Yeah, to hear yeah, that. I, yeah. I, I feel like uh, the interviews that are always good are the ones that you know you're just rapping with your buddy, like this yeah, one. That's this feels, is fun. This is nice. It's more just you're hanging out and talking. So right. I try to I try to to bring that to the table because I can ramble. So great. So new albums coming out summer. Yeah. Where and can people? You, and you're a pretty excellent photographer. Where can people <laughs> find your photography? Um, I would. I, I'm about to make an Etsy store so people can buy my prints online. But for now, if you want to check out anything, just go to Facebook.com, the Ataris. I run it, and um, you can you can uh, if you need to buy, you know, if you want to check out my photography, uh, just message me on there, or there's my emails on there as well. And then um, yeah, and again, go check out my acoustic album at theataris.bandcamp.com, and uh, it's free. Check it out, and hope to see you on uh, on tour. All right. My, show, uh, my shows. The, uh, other than Warp Tour, what's the next tour? Um, probably once the album's out, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll come come back around one more one more uh, leg in the states in the end of the year if we don't all die in 2012 <laughs> or, or some giant solar flare like today or something, you know? Yeah. Well, all right, Chris. Well, thank right you very much, man. Have that was fun. One. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, buddies. That was me hanging out, with Mr. Chris Rowe from the Ataris. Uh, 
Earlier in the episode, we kind of had some technical difficulties, some audio issues. I kind of cut around it. Uh, hopefully, it kind of worked out and kind of worked to the problem. Because we were recording this in the bowling alley part of the um, Moe's Barbecue, I had the volume turned up a little too loud. Um, and then going into the computer, I had the volume very, very loud. And then halfway through the interview, I go, oh, shit, that's loud as hell. Turned it down. Fixed it up. Uh, oh, well. Things happen. Uh, it's still a pretty good interview. You just might have to turn have had turned it down in your headphones. Oh fuck it! This is DIY punk rock internet radio thing, so it's not it's not it can't all be wedding cake. So anyway, uh, we're not going to ramble too much more. Um, we're going to end this episode off with, uh, of course, we're going to end it with San Dima, San Dimas football rules, whatever the hell the name of the song is. I just have always called it San Dimas, uh, so that's what we're going to call it today. Uh, Originally, the song was off the uh, Blue Skies album, Blue Skies, Broken Hearts, Next 12 Exits, uh, which I actually bought a print of, the album, the picture uh, that Chris took that became the album cover. Uh, he hooked me up with a whole bunch of kick-ass prints, because he is actually a pretty good photographer. Uh, make sure you check out uh, com. I'll have links to uh, his Facebook page, his band page, Twitter, and all that, so hopefully you can find his photography and all his other stuff. Uh, he does all the artwork for all the albums, so pretty cool stuff. Uh, and uh, Anyway, yeah, Blue Skies, Broken Hearts, Next 12 Exits, uh, San Dimas, this was the song on it. This was the song that pretty much propelled them to their uh, first wave of success and uh, kind of turned a bunch of punk rock guys into sweater vest wearing dorks and whatnot and myself included. Uh, so yeah, so let's uh, check out mostlyharmlesspodcast.com if you liked what you heard this week. Uh, check out um, Facebook, like us on there, leave us some iTunes love, you know, go on the little iTunes, log in, write us a little review. Uh, everything helps. Please, if you enjoyed the show, please send me an email, mostlyharmlesspodcast at gmail.com. Actually, that's a lie. It's mostlyharmlesspod at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, or visit mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Please, like, I I love feedback. I'd love to know that people are out there listening and that they're getting this and they actually enjoy it. Even better, I like to hear your negative thoughts. So um, just one of those little quirks. It's uh, I, li I like to hear what people think one way or the other, but it's for some reason it's more believable when people tell me how bad something is. And, yes, I do know the beginning of the episode was way too loud. So, All right, guys, uh, without any further ado, this is Chris Rowe playing San Dimas. Uh, it's off his acoustic EP. Or no, acoustic album. You can download the whole thing for free at bandcamp.com. We're going to have that link on the website for you to uh, listen to and download. It's got uh, covers of, like, Can't Hardly Wait. There's a couple of... Uh, couple other atari songs acousticized uh it's cool stuff uh so yeah this is uh san dimas thanks guys Night was too good to be. <laughs> 
Like a 